Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. I hope that you are having a great day and enjoying the summer wherever you are. Dr. Casey Grover here, and I am glad that you decided to join me for another Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast episode. Before we start, a follow-up to the last podcast episode on urine drug screens. I just wanted to clarify that immunoassay urine drug screens can be used to detect a lot of different substances. They can be used very specifically, For example, there are immunoassay tests that are only designed to detect a single substance like buprenorphine or methadone, or they can be designed to detect a class of substances like opioids or benzodiazepines. I made it seem in the last podcast episode that immunoassay tests were only set up to test for groups of substances like opioids, but I wanted to clarify that immunoassay tests could be used for groups of substances or single substances. And this has allowed immunoassay testing to be more useful. For example, in my addiction clinic, we have a point-of-care immunoassay urine drug screen that includes opioids, buprenorphine, fentanyl, and methadone. As you may recall from the last episode, the opioid immunoassay is most likely to detect opiates, those most similar to morphine or codeine. So the test manufacturer added in immunoassay tests for some of the common synthetic opioids so that I am able to detect a larger number of substances when I test the patient's urine. Now, if you're wondering, since I have access to confirmatory chromatography mass spectrometry testing in my office, why would I use the point-of-care immunoassay testing? Well, in order to treat my patients with sublocade, the long-acting buprenorphine injection, I need to make sure that they have buprenorphine in their system and don't have any other opioids in their system. A send-out isn't helpful since it takes time, like several days, to come back. So I use the point-of-care immunoassay test to test them on the day that they get their sublocade shot. So, both types of urine drug tests have utility, we just have to know how they work, their limitations, and how to use them. Okay, on to today's episode. Today's episode is on the topic of baclofen for alcohol use disorder. Why this topic? Well, a colleague of mine in the ER other day asked me, Hey Grover, how much are you using baclofen for alcohol use in your practice? To which I had to confess that I didn't know enough about baclofen for alcohol use disorder. So, it was time for a podcast episode. Now, I fortunately found us some great papers to go through. Let's look at the first one. It's entitled, The Use of Baclofen as a Treatment for Alcohol Use Disorder, a Clinical Practice Perspective. It was published in 2019 in Frontiers in Psychiatry. Renaud de Beaurepaire was the lead author. 
Let's dig into this article. The introduction section begins with a review of alcohol use disorder, which we will skip since we're very familiar with it on this podcast. They then move on to briefly discuss baclofen. Baclofen is a GABA B receptor agonist. It came out in the 1970s as a medication for muscle spasticity. Shortly after it came out, it was tested in animal studies as a medication for alcohol use disorder. These initial animal studies showed that baclofen caused a reduction in the behavioral effects of alcohol, alcohol consumption, binge drinking, alcohol withdrawal, the reinstatement of previously extinguished alcohol-seeking behavior, and the reinforcing properties of alcohol. The authors then go on to review all of the studies that existed at the time the article was published on alcohol and baclofen. And interestingly, they organize them by the dose used in each study. Now, let's take a quick break here. I don't know about you, but I don't use much baclofen in my practice. So let's take a minute and look at how baclofen is dosed for common conditions. According to the drug information on baclofen in UpToDate, for muscle spasm, baclofen is dosed at 5 to 10 milligrams TID as needed. For muscle spasticity, baclofen is dosed at 5 milligrams three times a day with an increase in 5 milligram every three days as needed up to a maximum of 80 milligrams per day. At 80 milligrams daily, that's given as 20 milligrams four times daily. It isn't specified how you start at 5 milligrams three times a day and increase up to 20 milligrams four times a day, but it looks like dose increases are recommended every three days. So you would start with five milligrams three times a day, then three days later, go to 10 milligrams three times a day, etc. And if you didn't know, because I didn't, baclofen can be used off-label for hiccups at a dose of five milligrams to 10 milligrams three times a day. Okay, so that gives me some good baseline knowledge about baclofen dosing. So let's go back to the article. The authors first look at clinical studies using baclofen at a dose of 30 milligrams per day. And there have been multiple studies looking at this dosing, many of which were randomized controlled trials. We don't have the time to go through all of them, but bottom line, the results were mixed. Some studies showed that baclofen did reduce alcohol intake, while others did not. It was about 50-50. The authors actually summarize all of these studies in Table 1 of the article. The authors next look at doses of baclofen over 30 milligrams daily. There are a few case reports and observational studies looking at this dosing range, which the authors briefly mention, and they found baclofen was successful in treating alcohol use disorder. However, the authors, given the limitations of case reports and observational data, moved to look at the randomized controlled data looking at doses of baclofen between 30 milligrams daily and 100 milligrams daily. Two studies looked at baclofen at 50 milligrams daily, dosing here as 25 milligrams twice daily, and neither study showed a reduction in drinking. Two studies looked at baclofen at 60 milligrams daily with dosing of 20 milligrams three times a day. One study did show a benefit over placebo when it came to looking at the number of drinks per drinking day. And this study looked at both 60 milligrams daily and 30 milligrams daily, and the 60 milligram daily dose was more effective. 
And the second study did not show a reduction in drinking with baclofen at 60 milligrams daily. One study looked at 75 milligrams daily of baclofen and found that it reduced time to relapse after abstinence and increased the percentage of abstinent days over placebo. But this study also looked at 30 milligrams of baclofen daily too, and there was no difference between baclofen at 75 milligrams daily and at 30 milligrams daily. One final study looked at 80 milligrams of baclofen daily, which was dosed at 20 milligrams four times a day, and this study did show a decrease in alcohol consumption compared to placebo. So once again, the data is all over the place. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Next, the authors move on to looking at randomized controlled trials that evaluate doses of baclofen over 100 milligrams daily. And just as a reminder, this is higher than the maximum dose used for muscle spasticity. One study looked at 150 milligrams daily of baclofen dosed at 50 milligrams three times a day, and this study did not find any reduction in alcohol use compared to placebo. Interestingly, not all patients were able to tolerate 150 milligrams of baclofen daily with the average daily dose in the study of 94 milligrams daily. Another study looked at 180 milligrams daily of baclofen dosed at 60 milligrams three times a day, and this study did not find any reduction in alcohol use compared to placebo. And finally, finally, one study looked at 270 milligrams of baclofen daily, which found that 70% of patients taking baclofen were abstinent from alcohol compared to 24% of patients in the placebo group. So, once again, the data is all over the place. The authors next move on to review the meta-analyses on baclofen for alcohol use disorder, which we will skip as I found a Cochrane review on baclofen for alcohol use disorder that was published more recently in 2023. The next section in the paper is entitled, and I love this quote, quote, possible reasons for inconsistent results in research to date, end quote. I am very glad that they had this section as I was wondering why the data was so mixed. The authors open this part of the paper with, quote, the reasons for inter-study discrepancies are not fully understood, end quote. So that's not a great start to this section, but let's push forward. The authors note that there are a lot of factors that affect alcohol use disorder, such as gender, genetic predisposition to alcohol use disorder, and comorbid mental illness. The authors furthermore note that some patients responded to 30 milligrams of baclofen daily, while others needed as much as 300 milligrams daily. As such, the authors hypothesize that patients may need personalized dosing for baclofen when treating alcohol use disorder. And this is supported by the fact that there are wide inter-individual variabilities of baclofen pharmacokinetics between people. The authors also note that each person may have individual differences in their GABA-B receptor sensitivity. The authors go on to note that in the studies they reviewed, the patients were 75% male, which may have biased the study outcomes as there is some evidence that women are more responsive to baclofen than men and may require lower doses. Bottom line, the authors aren't quite sure why there was so much variability between the studies, but they have some guesses. The authors then move on and pivot to a slightly different topic, which is on baclofen for alcohol withdrawal. They note that there is some preliminary data that baclofen can be used as an adjunct for alcohol withdrawal. 
there are some small studies and case reports that found that baclofen reduced alcohol withdrawal scale scores when used in addition to standard therapy. However, the authors caution us that baclofen is only an adjunct therapy. There is no data showing that it can be used to manage severe alcohol withdrawal as monotherapy. And if you were wondering, the authors do not discuss how to dose baclofen for alcohol withdrawal in this study. The authors pivot again at this point in this paper and next review two different approaches to the administration of baclofen. Fixed dose versus flexible dose. Fixed dose refers to a set and fixed dosing regimen. For example, patients were started on baclofen at 5 mg three times a day, then increased to 10 mg three times a day after three days, then increased to 15 mg three times a day after three days, up to a set fixed dose such as 60 mg daily. Flexible dosing refers to progressively increasing the dose without a set goal or regimen until the desired effect of reducing alcohol intake is achieved. Some patients might feel that 30 mg daily is enough to control alcohol use, while others need 300 mg daily. With this regimen, the authors note that the dose is continually increased until the desired effect of reduced alcohol intake is achieved with dose increases stopped or slowed if significant side effects such as sedation, dizziness, or confusion are experienced. Fixed dosing has some advantages, namely that patients usually end up on lower daily dosages and therefore have fewer side effects. But the downside is that patients may need individualized dosing and fixed dosing protocols do not allow for that. Flexible dosing has some advantages, namely that you titrate the dose to efficacy for the patient. However, there are fewer studies on this approach and with higher doses, there are more side effects. Okay, so we've reviewed the data on how well baclofen works for alcohol use disorder. Interestingly, the authors at this point in the paper pivot to give us an overview of baclofen and how it is used to treat alcohol use disorder. They start by reminding us that baclofen is used off-label for the treatment of alcohol use disorder and that clinicians may want to consider FDA-approved treatments for alcohol use disorder before using baclofen. They then inform us that baclofen is renally metabolized, so clinicians should consider checking renal function before initiating therapy with baclofen. If patients have renal insufficiency and are treated with baclofen, baclofen will accumulate in the patient, leading to sedation and confusion. Next, the authors note that baclofen may be used with a treatment goal of abstinence from alcohol or reducing alcohol consumption. They recommend if flexible dosing is used, discussing with patients that high doses may be needed, which can cause side effects. Baclofen can be used while patients are still drinking. It is unknown whether or not baclofen is more effective for alcohol use disorder in patients who are still drinking or those who have achieved abstinence. If baclofen is used in patients who are still drinking or need medical detoxification to stop drinking, providers should be wary of over-sedation from the combined effects of alcohol and baclofen or benzodiazepines and baclofen. Next, the authors look at side effects and precautions when using baclofen. Side effects include seizures, respiratory depression, mania, depression, confusion, sedation, and delirium. 
Providers should use caution when prescribing baclofen to patients on other sedating medications, such as benzodiazepines, as over-sedation may occur when baclofen is mixed with other sedating medications. Patients should avoid driving a car, operating heavy machinery, or using any potentially dangerous tools for the first few weeks after starting baclofen until they learn how the medication affects them. We obviously want to avoid any injuries or harm from patients being sedated during high-risk activities. The authors also note that baclofen has a withdrawal syndrome. Given that baclofen is a GABA agonist, it makes sense that baclofen withdrawal can include confusion, agitation, seizures, and delirium. So, when baclofen needs to be stopped, patients should taper down off of the dose in a similar fashion to how the dose is increased when it is started. So, for example, since the dose is increased by 5 milligrams at each dose every 3 days, as in, you would start at 5 milligrams three times a day and then go up to 10 milligrams three times a day after three days, you could taper down at a similar rate going the opposite direction. Next, the authors move on to baclofen overdose. Baclofen overdose can present in the most severe form as coma or seizures and can be fatal. Given that it's a GABA agonist, the most likely presentation of overdose is going to be sedation. The authors note that if a patient has had a suicidal attempt in the past or has ongoing suicidal thoughts, providers should use baclofen with extreme caution as baclofen overdose can be harmful or even fatal. The authors then move on to the use of baclofen in specific patient populations. Patients with renal impairment. Baclofen is 80% renally excreted, so renal function should be checked before initiation, and another agent may need to be chosen if a patient has renal impairment. The drug information article on UpToDate has recommendations for dosing of baclofen with renal impairment. Patients with bipolar disorder. Baclofen can cause mood elevation. So, if you're going to use baclofen in patients with bipolar disorder, you'll need to discuss the case with the patient's psychiatrist before you start baclofen, and the psychiatrist will need to co-manage the patient with you, monitoring for mania. Patients with anxiety. Baclofen may reduce some anxiety and therefore may be uniquely helpful in patients with alcohol use disorder with comorbid anxiety. Patients using other substances besides alcohol. There is some limited literature on the use of baclofen to treat other substance use disorders. Overall, the data is inconclusive on whether or not baclofen is effective to treat other substance use disorders. Patients with liver disease. Patients with liver disease may use baclofen, with the exception of patients with encephalopathy because of the sedation from baclofen, and patients with hepatorenal syndrome due to the renal impairment. Patients with epilepsy. Baclofen lowers the seizure threshold and therefore should be avoided in patients with seizures. And a quick aside, that makes me a little nervous when treating patients with alcohol withdrawal with baclofen. Just keep that in mind. Back to the article. Patients with cardiovascular disease. Baclofen at lower doses can cause a mild drop in blood pressure and heart rate and can also cause hypertension and promote cardiac arrhythmia at higher doses. Patients with respiratory disease. Baclofen, due to its sedating properties, can worsen sleep apnea. Patients with Parkinson's disease. Baclofen can worsen the side effects of levodopa. Patients with urinary incontinence. Baclofen can worsen urinary incontinence. 
Okay, almost done. Adolescence. There is no data on the use of baclofen for alcohol use disorder in adolescence. Pregnant women. There is limited data on the use of baclofen in pregnant women, so avoid baclofen during pregnancy. And elderly patients. Baclofen is more likely to cause side effects including fatigue and somnolence in the elderly, increasing the risk of falls. And that is the end of our first article. Now, just to make sure that we weren't missing anything, I found another article on the topic. This one was entitled, Novel Agents for the Pharmacological Treatment for Alcohol Use Disorder. It was published in Drugs in 2022 with Elizabeth Burnett as the lead author. It's a review of multiple pharmacologic agents for the treatment of alcohol use disorder, and I skipped ahead to page six, which had a section on baclofen. Let's go through the high points. Baclofen is a GABA-B receptor agonist that can be used off-label for the treatment of alcohol use disorder. Trials on baclofen for alcohol use disorder have shown mixed results. Side effects of baclofen include drowsiness, sedation, headache, vertigo, confusion, abnormal movements, and slurred speech. Tolerance will develop with repeated use of baclofen, and abrupt cessation can cause a withdrawal syndrome. Women are more sensitive to the medication and may need lower doses than men. Baclofen is noted to have significant pharmacokinetic variability between people. And baclofen may be effective for alcohol use disorder, but the ideal dose is not known, and it can be challenging to use given the pharmacokinetic variability and side effects. And that was the end of the section on baclofen from this second paper. That was a great summary of the first paper. So I think at this point, we know quite a bit about both baclofen in general and baclofen for the treatment of alcohol use disorder. But we still really don't know how well it works and what is the optimal dose. Fortunately, there is a Cochrane review on baclofen for alcohol use disorder from 2023. The title is Baclofen for Alcohol Use Disorder and Roberta Agabio is the lead author. They reviewed randomized controlled trials that involved treatment for at least four weeks and overall study duration for at least 12 weeks. They looked at relapse, alcohol use, side effects, craving, anxiety, and depression. They found 17 randomized controlled trials. Mean age was 46 and a half. 70% of participants were men. Some studies compared baclofen to placebo, others to treatments such as a camprosate or naltrexone. In 16 of the 17 trials, patients were also treated with psychosocial therapies. In seven studies, patients were still drinking when they started, and baclofen daily doses varied from 30 milligrams to 300 milligrams daily. Now, what did they find in their Cochrane review? Baclofen, with moderate certainty, reduced relapse with a risk ratio of 0.87 in patients who were abstinent. Baclofen with high certainty increased the number of abstinent days on average, increasing the number of abstinent days per month by nine. However, baclofen did not affect the number of heavy drinking days per month, the number of drinks on drinking days, craving for alcohol, anxiety, or depression. Regarding adverse effects, baclofen was found to cause fatigue, dizziness, somnolence, sedation, dry mouth, paresthesias, and muscle spasms or rigidity. Unfortunately, they don't comment on what appears to be the ideal dose. So, 
Putting it all together, the Cochrane Review summarized the evidence on baclofen for alcohol use disorder as, quote, Baclofen likely reduces the risk of relapse to any drinking and increases the percentage of abstinent days, mainly among detoxified participants. It does not increase the number of participants with at least one adverse event, those who drop out for any reason or due to adverse events. It probably does not reduce number of heavy drinking days and the number of drinks per drinking days. Current evidence suggests that baclofen may help people with alcohol use disorder in maintaining abstinence, end quote. And that is the end of the Cochrane Review. And with that, it is time to wrap up this episode with some good old-fashioned addiction in emergency medicine and acute care take-home points. Number one, baclofen is a GABA B agonist that is normally used for muscle spasm or muscle spasticity that can be used off-label to treat alcohol use disorder. Number two, baclofen is renally metabolized. For patients with renal dysfunction, the dosing will need to be adjusted or baclofen should be avoided altogether. Number three, side effects of baclofen include lowering the seizure threshold, mania, depression, confusion, sedation, dizziness, fatigue, and dry mouth. When baclofen is combined with other central nervous system depressants, it can lead to oversedation. Number four, baclofen can be used for alcohol use disorder. The data is somewhat mixed on its efficacy, but based on a recent Cochrane review, it increases the number of abstinent days, with this effect being most prominent in patients who have already undergone detoxification. Number five, the dosing on baclofen for alcohol use disorder is all over the place. Daily doses of baclofen for alcohol use disorder vary from 30 milligrams daily to 300 milligrams daily. Baclofen is usually started at 5 milligrams three times a day and increased by 5 milligrams every three days. As in, 5 milligrams three times a day for three days, then increasing to 10 milligrams three times a day for three days, etc. Number six, when choosing a goal dose of baclofen, consider titrating the dose of baclofen up until the desired effect of reducing alcohol consumption is achieved. However, patients may develop significant side effects at higher doses. And number seven, baclofen does have a withdrawal syndrome, which presents as confusion, agitation, seizures, and delirium. Baclofen as such should be slowly tapered down in a similar fashion to how it was tapered up when it was started in the first place. So based on all of this, what am I going to do with baclofen for alcohol use disorder? Well, it's probably not going to be my first line, but if a patient wanted to try it or had failed multiple other agents, I would be open to giving it a try. And that is the end of this episode. Thank you if you have left me a review on your podcast app and double thank you if you have shared this podcast with a colleague. Thank you for listening and thank you for what you do. And don't forget, treating substance use disorders saves lives.